We are making our way through the book of Luke, line by line and verse by verse. And I want to tell you that I am excited about where we are in the book of Luke for the next year. In chapter 18, Jesus will get to Jerusalem for the final time. And over the next few months, we are going to be covering the last week of the life of Jesus, his arrest, his, his suffering, his crucifixion, his resurrection, and the post-resurrection stuff. And I really think God's going to do some great things with you guys and in our lives as a church over the next few months as we study these. Today, we are looking at the 10 lepers that are cleansed. And it's such a powerful section of Scripture. And I want to start by talking about a few things about leprosy. Oh boy, Sunday morning, leprosy. Let's, let's, talk, let's talk leprosy. Uh, leprosy, first of all, uh, was discovered in a mummy in Egypt uh, 3,000 years ago. So leprosy has been around for a long time. It is mentioned 68 times in the Bible, about 12 of them, maybe 13 in the New Testament, the rest of them in the Old Testament. You find it in the Bible for the first time 2,500 years ago when Miriam, the sister of Moses, gets upset at Moses because he has an interracial marriage. The Bible says that Moses marries an Ethiopian woman and Aaron and Miriam get upset about it and God gives Miriam leprosy, has her outside of the camp for seven days, then cleanses her and lets her come back into the camp. Leprosy throughout history has been uncurable until 1981 when they discovered Actually, it was discovered before that in the 70s that leprosy, the 1970s, that leprosy was a bacteria, which surprised them because they had been giving antibiotics to try to take care of leprosy for a while. But the bacteria that causes leprosy, I'm not a doctor, all right? I just need to say that right up front. So take this, that this is a preacher talking about medical stuff, all right? So um, the bacteria that causes leprosy multiplies very slowly. And, and the incubation period for leprosy is between five and seven years. And sometimes you will get leprosy, you get the bacteria that causes it, and don't show signs of leprosy for 10 years. That's how slow it is. But once it gets in you, it's called Hansen's disease for the doctor who discovered it. Once it gets in you, it attacks your skin first, You'll notice a spot, lesions, nodules on your skin. It affects the hands, the feet, the ears, the nose, the peripheral parts of your body are what are affected first of all. From there, it thickens the skin and they end up turning into open sores on the body. It also attacks the nerves in the body. It attacks, I think it's the myelin sheath. Again, this is a pastor, okay, using medical terms, which probably means I'm using them wrong. But there's a sheath that's around the nerves and it attacks that sheath that's around them and causes there to be numbness so that someone with leprosy doesn't feel pain. And so um, people working with lepers, especially in the early 1900s, late 1800s and late 1900s, gave a lot of accounts of lepers who would drop a potato into a fire and then reach down in the fire and pull it out without any effect uh, because they just don't feel the pain the same way about someone. There's an, an account of a leper that washed his face every morning 
and didn't know the water, water was scalding and brought on blindness because the water was so hot, he ended up damaging his eyes. There's an account of a kid who, an eight-year-old kid who was working with the doctor and there was a rusty key. The doctor couldn't get the key to turn. And so the kid reached up and turned the key without any effort. And the doctor was shocked because of the strength. You know, pain is what keeps us from being able to ac access all of our strength. We have more strength than we do, but pain, you know, you're lifting something, you're like, ow, I give up. And so he turned the key and the doctor was amazed until he saw that his fingers were cut completely to the bone. His thumb and his finger, he had grabbed the key and when he twisted it, it just tore into him and he didn't feel it. So that's what, what leprosy ends up doing. Um, from there, it attacks uh, the cartilage. It robs the cartilage of the body to try to replace what's happening with the nerves. And so the cartilage goes away in the nose, in the ears, in your joints. And because you can't feel and you damage and get gangrene and have to have amputated or literally body parts fall off, it is a completely and totally devastating disease. Now, leprosy in the Bible is a type of sin. Uh, and and you've got to be really careful when you're looking at types in the Bible. The Bible is full of types. And a type is simply, it takes a, a doctrine or a theology or a biblical truth, and it gives us a picture that helps us to understand that biblical truth. It's very powerful. There's a lot of them. But sometimes when people don't have a biblical truth, cults do this a lot, they don't have a biblical truth, and so they build, they, they go and they kind of make a type to say what they're going to say. That's dangerous. A type will always support a biblical truth. You never want a type or a picture of, to be your evidence for your doctrine. It's a picture. So leprosy in the Bible is a type of sin. What is, is a picture, a typology. It's a picture of sin, okay? Um, what, the, what leprosy does to the body, sin does to the soul. That's the idea. And we have a tendency to think that, that sin is not that bad that I have sin in my life, but it's okay. But what we don't know is like leprosy, it works very slowly. And it will bring destruction. It will bring death. And like you don't want leprosy, you don't want sin in your life either. Now, let me give you a type. I just want you to get an idea of, of, of how types work in the Bible. And I want to do this quickly. But you remember that back in when the children of Israel were wandering in the wilderness, they did something and God plagued them with snakes and a lot died. And so Moses called out to God and God said, put a, a bronze snake up in the middle of the camp. And when someone's bit by the snake, have them go out and look at the snake. That's weird, isn't it? That's like a weird thing. It's like, I'm going to God, ow, I got bit. Let me go look at the snake. Okay, I'm now healed. It's a little strange. So then Jesus says, as the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Now we learn that that was a type, a picture of the crucifixion. And you go, Jesus on the cross is the snake on a post is a type of Jesus on the cross. Again, that's weird. It's hard for us to make the connection. But here's the connection. They were bit by a serpent. The poison that bit them was the poison of a serpent. They went and looked at a serpent that had been on a pole, a representation of that serpent, in order to be healed from what bit them. They looked at what bit them for them to be able to be healed. 
The Bible tells us that Jesus on the cross became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. He literally became sin on the cross. You and I have been bit by sin and so we look to, to Jesus who became sin on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. So that serpent in the wilderness becomes a type or a picture of Jesus on the cross. And there are, as I said, there, there are hundreds of these types and pictures in the Bible and they are very powerful. And leprosy is one of those um, that what leprosy does to the body, this disease does to the skin. Um, this is why we, uh, this is why the greatest need that we have is the, is the need for forgiveness. That's the greatest need. I, I don't know you, you personally, a lot of you. As I look around, I know a lot of you. But some of you I don't know, and you may have things going on in your life that you may have sin in your life now, and you, you've been doing it for a while, you don't think it's that big of a deal. Um, but the, and you may have a great need, and you might think that's my greatest need, but the greatest need is always that your sins are forgiven. That's why when that paralyzed man was lowered before Jesus, he's paralyzed. And his four friends lowered him down to be healed of being paralyzed. And Jesus said to him, your sins are forgiven you. Because his greatest need was not to be healed from being paralyzed. His greatest need was to have his sins forgiven him. And if God does nothing else in your life but forgive you of your sins, God has met your greatest need. That is the greatest need. And um, leprosy gives us that picture. The first mention of leprosy was Miriam. But there's another picture of leprosy in the Old Testament that really helps us. And this is a man by the name of Naaman who was a Syrian. In fact, he was a Syrian general and he had leprosy. And um, he had a servant who was from Israel who said, there's a man in Israel who can heal you. His name is Elijah. And so Naaman went to go see Elijah. This is a... This is a, a, a convoy of chariots and horses for an admiral or for a general. This is the top guy in the army of Syria when Syria was one of the strongest world powers. And when he shows up at Elijah's house, Elijah doesn't go out to meet him. If, if a general, a dignitary like that came to your house, you'd be like, hey, hi, how are you? You know, can't believe you came to see me. But Elijah was like, eh, go out and tell him to go dip in the river seven times. And when Naaman heard that, he was mad. Go dip in the Jordan River seven times? Aren't there greater rivers in Syria that I could go dip myself into? And the servant said, had the man asked you to do something great, had he sent you on a quest to do some great thing, you would have gladly done it to be healed. But he asked you to do something simple like dip in a river seven times and you won't do it. And so Naaman went down to the river, took off his armor, dipped in it seven times. And when he came up the last time, the Bible says his skin was like the skin of a baby. And from then on, he was known as General Baby Skin. <laughs> it's not true. He wasn't known as General Baby Skin. However, this is a picture of the forgiveness of sin. Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River to become like us. John the Baptist baptized in the Jordan River. The disciples were baptized in the Jordan River. This man was cleansed of his leprosy, which is a type of sin, and it brings us this strong picture, okay? So um, there are other uh, accounts of leprosy in the Bible, Uzziah the king and a few others, and we, won't, we don't have time to cover them. Let me just give you a few ways in which leprosy is like sin. 
Okay? Number one, leprosy brought separation. When you got leprosy, when you finally saw the spot on your finger or your ear and you went to the priest, and there were other kinds of leprosy in the Bible, by the way, so the priest could look at it and go, well, this is not the bad leprosy. You separate yourself and then come back and see me. They would come back and see him and when the rash or whatever was gone, they could be brought back into society. But if it was Hansen's disease, if it was the bad kind of leprosy, they were separated forever. The people they needed the most, when you find you have a, a disease that's going to eat your body and twist you and contort you and, and, and really make you grotesque, you need your friends and family more than ever during those times and you were separated from them. So sin separates us from God. And, and we don't realize it because just like the incubation period for leprosy was so long, it's another one of my points here, so I'll just go to it. The incubation period for leprosy was so long, the incubation period for sin is, it takes a, a while. The Bible tells us in James chapter one that sin brings death. And in another place it says that sin brings destruction. And in another place, Hebrews, it says that sin is deceptive. So you don't want sin in your life. And you, right now, you may be involved in sin and you're like, hey, nothing's happening to me. It's okay. Oh, it's happening. It's just going slow. And one day it will result in you going, I wish I didn't have this in my life. I wish I would not have done this. So sin uh, brings separation. Um, sin has a long incubation period like leprosy. Leprosy affects your ability to be able to feel fire, heat, pain, and so does sin. The first time you commit a sin, you're struck by it, your conscience is struck, and you, you say, God, forgive me, I'm sorry, help me. But then you do it again and again and again, and your conscience, the Bible said, is seared as if it were with a hot iron, and pretty soon you can't feel it. And so every once in a while, when I'm doing a meet and greet, someone will come up and say, listen, I'm, 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 I'm living with someone. I'm, we're involved sexually, but I don't feel like it's wrong. Well, it doesn't mean it's not wrong. It means that your conscience has been seared as with a hot iron. And that happens with sin. You get to the point where you've done it so much that you no longer feel guilty about it. You no longer feel condemned about it. But make no mistake, sin brings corruption destruction and death and even though you don't feel it doesn't mean that you are not being damaged by it also um uh you have to, when when you were when you were healed of leprosy in the old testament it's called being cleansed from leprosy you were cleansed from it when you have your sin forgiven the bible says you are cleansed from your sin so there's a very real connection between what leprosy is to the body and what sin is to the soul of a person. And it should tell us that we should battle against sin. We should keep short accounts with God. We should confess our sin. We should remember that when you practice something, you start to do it without thinking about it. This is one of the reasons that sin can be a stronghold in our lives. I used to teach basketball. My oldest boy was a very good basketball player. He played on the varsity team at CDO when St. New was there, when St. New was their coach. And um, I coached him through the junior high years, which I was so glad the last time that I had to coach for various reasons, parents mostly, by the way. And if you're here and you're a parent that was on one of those, I love you. Um, 
But I was really glad when it was finally done. But one of the things that we did, the first thing we did with the kids when they came in was we brought them through fundamentals. Every single practice started with fundamentals. You go back and forth down the court. You're dribbling right-handed, dribbling left-handed, crossing over. You're doing the study. We got moves that you do, you know. When, when they would shoot, we'd make sure that they came and shot. We'd make sure that they were practicing it the way they were supposed to. And they had flying elbows or something. Uh, because I didn't want them thinking about that. You don't want them coming up to take a shot and think, oh, I got to get into position. You want it to become second nature. Well, when you practice sin, it becomes second nature. When you practice sin, you just do it and you don't even think about it. And it's a behavioral issue. It's a stronghold issue. And it needs to be dealt with. And I just want to say that because you don't want sin in your life. Now, let's take a look at this text. It's a great text. It really is. There's so many good lessons here. So we pick it up in verse 11 of, John, of Luke chapter 17. And it says, Now as it happened as Jesus went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem for the last time. He's going to, he's going to die when he gets there. He's going to be arrested. He's going to have the, the last week. And so it, it makes sense that he meets these lepers on the road. And he's going to send them in front of him to Jerusalem. This is powerful. He's going to send these lepers to Jerusalem in front of him. And, and it says he goes through Samaria and Galilee. And the one thing about both of these regions, Samaria is Assyrians that have intermarried with Jews to make their own race. And there were Samaritan cities. And you remember Jesus visited a Samaritan city, city, stayed there for three days when he met the woman at the well. Okay, so Jesus and, and the, the Samaritan woman got life and Jesus talked about Samaritans often. And then Galilee has villages that are Jewish like Chorazin, um, Capernaum, other, uh, Canaan, other uh, Nazareth, other Jewish villages in the Galilee that Jesus ministered in. But there is also what is called the Decapolis. These are 10 Greek Roman cities where Gentiles lived. So in other words, the Galilee was not an area where it was only Jewish villages. It was an area where there were Gentiles and Jews. When Jesus goes to the Gadareans, we see that there are Gentiles that live in the Gadareans. That's right off the Sea of Galilee. They're raising pigs, right? Right off the Sea of Galilee. So the fact that this happens in a region that is not only Jewish speaks of the broadness of the forgiveness. Jesus came to forgive all of me, anyone who would come. Anyone. I love that it says in Mark chapter 16, preach the gospel to every creature. Just in case you think there are some people that don't need to hear the gospel. I shouldn't preach to those people. Don't preach the gospel to rich people. Don't preach the gospel to those people. It overcomes prejudice when the Bible says preach the gospel to every creature. Friend of mine, Steve Mays, used to talk about when he was really wanting to preach. He was a pastor. He's since passed away, but he was a pastor in Calvary Chapel of South Bay. And he, uh, when he wanted to preach and didn't preach enough and he really wanted to, he used to practice on turkeys. He would back his truck up to a fence. The turkeys would think they were getting fed. They would come all in and <laughs> and he would stand on the bed of his truck and he would preach to turkeys. Preach the gospel to every creature. And in there is a joke about turkeys getting saved somewhere. And, and, and still getting saved. But that's why Jesus is in this region that has all of these diverse people in it. Okay? So then it says, um, then he entered a certain village and there met him 
ten men who were lepers who stood afar off. These men couldn't do anything to help themselves. Their lives had taken a turn that was dark and, and awful, and they were, they were hopeless. A, a lot of times when I can do something about a struggle, maybe I can't do what God could do, but a lot of times I'm guilty of rolling up my sleeves and going in and trying to do it. You know, there's that saying, let go and let God. I have a hard time letting go and let God. Anybody else the same way? But sometimes there's things that are out of my control. And, and sometimes there are things that I would do anything to change. I, I literally have prayed, Lord, would you do this, fix this? And Lord, take my life if necessary. I'll die to change this. And I know that some of you guys are going through the same kind of things, that you would literally give up your life to change something that is so out of your control. And that's these lepers. They have this in their life. They're, they're separated from their family and friends. At least they have each other. At least they've been able to find, you know, nine other lepers that are facing what they're facing and what they're going through. It says they stand afar off because they always have to stand afar off. Because if you have leprosy, you have to, when you get close to someone, you had to cry out, unclean, unclean, which is another connection to sin. When you sin, you are unclean. When you are forgiven from your sin, you are clean. And they had to cry out, unclean. And they stood afar off. And verse 13 says, and they lifted up their voices and they said, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. I think the fact that they call him master is significant, but this is all they can do. They've got nothing else. This is a long shot. This is a Hail Mary for them. They're just standing afar off. Jesus, master, have mercy on us. I don't even know if they really thought that Jesus was going to be able to heal them. Maybe they knew that lepers had been healed by Jesus because he had healed them. And maybe that gave them some hope. But Jesus, master, have mercy on us. And it's interesting to me that they use the word mercy. Mercy means I don't deserve this. When you ask somebody for mercy, you're asking that they do something for you that you don't deserve. If you deserve it, it's justice. But if you say, Lord, have mercy on me. God's giving you something that you don't deserve at all. And they're asking for mercy. I, I have three verses on asking God for mercy, just a few things about it. Number one, we are invited by God to come and ask him for mercy. God wants us to come boldly to the throne and say, help me. Lord, I need your help. I, I need mercy. I don't deserve this. There's nothing, I, I can't purchase it from you. I have nothing to give you. Listen to what it says in Hebrews 4.16. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. Let us go boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy. God also gives mercy because of his great love. God loves you. And God loves the people you're concerned about. And God loves the people you pray for. God loves the people you would trade places with people with. And I, I, you've, you've 
Almost everyone here has prayed a prayer like that. Lord, do it to me instead of them. And so in Ephesians 2, 4, and 5, it says, but God who is rich in mercy, who God's rich in mercy. He, 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 he's not, doesn't have like, I only got a little bit, can't give it to you. God who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he has loved us. It's not just that God loves you. God loves you with a great love because of his great love, which he loves us. Even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive through Christ, by grace you have been saved. Finally, God's mercy is always available. And I want to give you a pass. I could have gone other places for this, but I want to give you a passage out of Lamentations because we never quote Lamentations. So I thought it'd be good for us to quote it. And it's a great verse. This is Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. It says, Though the Lord's mercies, or excuse me, through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed. This tells us that before you ever ask God for mercy to help you in something that's out of your control, you already have God's mercies because you're here. Through the Lord's mercy, we are not consumed. Powerful verse. It says, because his compassion fails not. God's, God's compassion doesn't fail. He's a compassionate. And then he says, they are new every morning. There's so many other verses that tell us that the mercies of God are new every morning. I heard one preacher say, we wake up with a batch of new mercies every day. And I like it. And then it says, finally, great is your faithfulness. God is faithful to us. The Bible says we don't have because we don't ask. And I wonder if we haven't received some of this great mercy simply because we have not asked. Now, when we get to 14, we get to the heart of this passage and it's very powerful on every level. It's first of all says, and so when he saw them. So Jesus is, is fully God and fully human, but in his fully human state, he doesn't know everything. He's able to access certain things in his deity, but he doesn't know everything. And all of a sudden, he sees them. They're crying out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And Jesus sees them. And this helps us to understand that Jesus sees you. He's not asleep in the front of the boat. He sees you. He sees your need. He sees the twisted, grotesque parts of your life. I'm not talking physically, by the way. I'm talking spiritually. He sees you. And he said to them, go show yourself to the priests. Which could have been a confusing thing for these, these lepers. You, when, when you got that first spot of leprosy, you were supposed to go show yourself to the priest. Each of these guys had the priest say, that's the bad leprosy you are going to need to be separated forever. Each of them had heard those, that news. Now go show yourself to the priest. He doesn't tell them, I'm going to heal you. When Jesus healed, he didn't lay hands on people and heal them. Some, he rubbed mud and, and, and uh, spit in the eyes of a blind man and then said, go wash in the pool of Siloam. But he didn't heal like people heal today where we lay hands on people and say, I want to pray for you to be healed. Jesus just spoke it because he is God. And he, he told the, the, the paralyzed man, who needed his sins forgiven, 
Your sins, um, your sins are forgiven you. And then he said, pick up your bed and go. His sins were forgiven. And then he was able to pick up his bed and go just because Jesus said it. But, but the fact that he says, go show yourself to the priest would bring confusion to them. They're supposed to show themselves to the priest when they're healed. They're not healed. Why is God, does God ever ask you to do something you don't understand? Do you ever read anything in the Bible and go, what does that mean? I'll tell you, I get questions a lot from people when they say, why does God want me to do this? And a lot of times I say, I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know, but the Bible says to do it. So let's do it. See, sometimes God's asking us to do something we don't understand because God wants to give us a point of faith. We don't always have to understand. We trust him instead. We believe him instead. I have three reasons why he said this, what I think, these are just my thoughts on why he would say this. Number one, to put emphasis upon scripture. Jesus always put emphasis upon the word of God. This is alive and active and rich and we ought to be reading it more and learning it more. It changes our lives. It works within us. It keeps us pure. Uh, it, it, when it falls on a good heart, it produces 30, 60 and 100 fold. And so they were, when they were cleansed, they were supposed to go to the priest. And so it keeps a focus on scripture. Number two, and this is the way I put it, to blow the mind of the priests. <laughs> I had said that he wanted to send them in front of him to Jerusalem. He's on his way to Jerusalem and he goes through these regions and he tells these men, go show yourself to the priest. Where are the priests at? In Jerusalem. They're at the temple in Jerusalem. That's what priests do. They deal with the temple. And some of these priests are on the Sanhedrin. Not all of them, but some of them. And the Sanhedrin, in a matter of a few weeks from this account, are going to vote to put Jesus to death. But they're going to have to account for the fact that these 10 lepers came rushing in to see the priests. Can you imagine the scene? Here they are. They've got all their leprosy clothes on and they're coming in. We've got to show you. We've been healed. And there's 10 of them. And the priests are like, slow down. What happened? Well, we saw Jesus. We cried out from afar. He said, go show. And, and, and they're hearing about Jesus, who they're going to see. And some of them are going to become believers. We'll see that as we make our way through here. Some of the priests are going to believe, but most of them don't. Even though they saw Jesus heal these 10 men, they were part of it because they had to cleanse them. Now, the, the third thing is to give them a step of faith. And I think that God asked us to do a lot of things in the Bible that are just a step of faith. A lot of things that we go, I don't understand why God wants me to do that. Don't, don't let that stop you from doing what's in the Bible, God doesn't always explain himself to you. Think about your five-year-old kid. Why, mom? Because. Why? Because. Why? Because. Why? Because I said so. Now don't ask again. And we're like that. God says to do something. Why? God's just like, just do it. Just do it. It's my word. Don't you trust me? Just do it. And so God gave them a point of faith. So then finally, it says in verse 14, I told you this is a great verse. This is the center of the, this whole passage. And so it was, as they went, they were cleansed. As they did what Jesus told them to do that they didn't understand, or it's possible they didn't understand it, that they were cleansed. They turned around to leave and maybe as they were walking, like, 
Okay, we'll do it. And they all walk away. There's 10, 10 lepers walking down the road. And sounds like the opening of a joke, doesn't it? 10 lepers walking down the road. And, and one of them looks at their hands and looks at their fellow and looks around. And, and you know, they, they're restored. Their noses are normal. Their ears are normal. Their, their leprosy has been healed. God's done this incredible miracle. The disfigurement that comes from sin can be cleansed. The disfigurement that comes from leprosy can be cleansed. And as they went, they were healed. As we go and do the things that God tells us to do, we find the power to be able to do those things. Jesus said, stretch out your hand to a man with a withered hand. And as he stretched out his hand, his hand was made well. When I teach on love, people will say to me, it's so hard for me. I don't know if I can do it. You don't know my family. I've had people literally tell me that. But as you start to do it, you have the power to do it. When we talk about forgiveness, people will say, I don't know that I can forgive them. What they did was awful. But as you start to let them go, you're not saying what they did was okay. You're saying, you no longer owe me. I'm going to let you go. I'm not going to hold a bitterness in my heart. And as you do it, you have the power to do it because Jesus said to forgive. And when you begin to do his commandment, as you do it, you find the ability to be able to do it. So these 10 lepers are cleansed as they go their way. Verse 15, and one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned with a loud voice and glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet. Now I'm going to take it, this is before he goes to the temple. I'm assuming a couple things here, but I'm going to take it as before he gets to the temple. One of them is so amazed at that he is healed that he turns around and, and, and falls down at the feet of Jesus and starts to glorify God and starts to praise God for what's been given. Uh, for what's been done. And it says, he fell down on his face at his feet, giving thanks, and he was a Samaritan. Now, that's a little jab, right? That's a, that's a little jab to the Jews who have rejected him, that this foreigner is now giving thanks and praising God, but these Jews, Jewish lepers, didn't do it. Now, God set Israel aside and opened up salvation to the Gentiles and Jews can be saved under this salvation to the Gentiles. But one day, God's going to cause all of Israel to be saved again. One day, today, the majority of Jews reject Jesus, but the Bible has a prophecy, several of them, that God is going to restore them and they are going to receive Jesus as their Messiah. I'm looking forward to that day when the nation of Israel finally says Jesus is the Messiah. The Bible foretells that that's going to happen. So this is a jab to them that a foreigner is recognizing this and you guys aren't. So Jesus answered and said, were there not 10 cleansed? But where are the nine? And I wonder if this isn't a correlation to the church, to, to us being forgiven and out of 10 people who are forgiven, only one is truly thankful. Somehow, we just, maybe because incubation of sin takes so long, maybe because we don't see the destruction that sin brings in our life right away, we just are not all that thankful for the, all, for the forgiveness we've received. But we should be. We've been given a white robe. We, we have our, we've been cleansed. We are no longer with no longer do we have the filth of sin. And we ought to go to Jesus and say, thank you that I'm forgiven. Thank you that you've forgiven me my sins. 
Where are the nine? And then it says, were there not any found who would return to give glory to God except this foreigner? And again, Jesus is doing that. And he said to him, arise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Now this, your faith has made you well could also be translated, your faith has saved you. It could be that these 10 lepers that left went to the priest, went back to their families, didn't really become followers of Jesus. But this one guy did because he returned and gave thanks and it gave him a relationship with Christ. Now, I, I, I have just a couple more things. And in closing, I want to consider just three things about thankfulness. This whole passage is taught on Thanksgiving often, okay? And I, in a couple of weeks on a Wednesday night, we're going to be looking at Philippians 4, 6, and 7. And we're going to be talking about thankfulness there, the benefits of being thankful. But I just want to give you just three, okay? Number one, Thankfulness puts us in the will of God. Sometimes people say, is, is it God's will for me to live in Tucson? Is it God's will for me to buy that car? Is it God's will for me to marry that girl? And, and we get really, you know, we want to be in God's will. That's good to want to be in God's will. But what God cares more about than what car you're driving is that you're living in the will of God while you're driving that car. What God cares more about than what city you're living in is the way that you are living while you are in that city, that you are living in the will of God while you are in that city. I don't know if I'm going to say more than the person that you marry, but I, we could say that one of the most important things about a marriage is that we are in God's will while we, were in, we are, while we are in that marriage. So listen to what it says in 1 Thessalonians 5.16. Rejoice always and in everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. In other words, when you sit down to tell God thank you for all God's doing in your life, you are at that moment in the will of God. That's a good place to be. It's good to say, Lord, I want to be in your will. The second thing that being thankful does is it brings us peace. This is the passage we're going to cover on Wednesday night in a couple of weeks. And it's Philippians 4, 6, and 7. And it says, Be anxious for nothing, but everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and mind. There's something about being thankful while you're asking God to meet needs that brings peace and that helps you with worry and anxiety. The, my final benefit that I have for thankfulness, there's a lot more. We'll cover more in a couple of weeks on Wednesday night. But thankfulness brings us to Christ. You, you, if you're going to say thanks to Jesus, you've got to go to Jesus. So thankfulness brings you to Jesus. And, and, that, and, and here I have our, our text, this leper, in verses 15 and 16. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned with a loud voice and glorified God and fell down at his feet, giving thanks and he was a Samaritan. So when we are thankful, we also, it helps us to give us hope. Because when I thank God for what he's done, and it's similar to what I'm asking him to do, I have situations in my life that I've prayed about, that I've sought God for diligently, that I truly honestly thought were hopeless. I knew God had to do a miracle. And I, I look back at it today and God did that miracle. God heard my prayers and he did it. 
And that gives me hope he's going to do it in the future. And so when I thank him, Father, thank you that you did that. Then I have hope as I say, Lord, would you do that? Thank you. You met me here. Would you do it again? Jesus, Master, have mercy on me. Now, the final thing that I would do in the, in, and the, the final statement is just, this is a picture of salvation because your faith has made you well. This is not just the account of a leper being healed and returning and thanking God, but of a leper actually finding salvation. And greater than leprosy being healed is sin being forgiven. And that's just such a powerful, powerful statement. And that God is willing to forgive your sins. And if you're here today and you're a Christian and you have unconfessed, unrepentant sin in your life, you've just got sin that you've, been, you've practiced, you're like, you just, you've practiced it, you've practiced it, you've practiced it, you just do it, you don't think about it. It is separating you from God. I'm not saying it's separating your salvation. I'm just saying your fellowship from God is being broken. And Peter in chapter two of Acts said, times of refreshing comes from the presence of God. You're missing out on so much because you have chosen to keep unrepented, unconfessed sin in your life. And now you have the separation that you're missing out on the times of refreshing and so many other blessings that could come from God. Stand with me, would you? And let's pray together. Father, thank you so much as we've been able to take this time and look at this amazing passage. It really and truly is amazing. And you are doing such an incredible work. And I pray that you would help us to understand how sin works slowly and is so devastating, just like leprosy. And help us to confess our sin before you and to keep things right. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.